Grace and peace to you, Fellowship Church, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, Jess invited us to consider what uh, spurs us into awe. Maybe it's the tranquil waters of Lake Michigan as the sun is setting and you are struck with awe. Maybe Lake Michigan's uh, roaring beauty with the big waves that are crashing over the lake and a storm coming over and the rains coming down causes you awe. What other things cause you awe? John, in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, paints a vision of awe, an awesome vision of uh, the throne room of heaven in which all the living creatures are giving praise to God. Not a scenery uh, awesome scene, but it's awesome scene because of the one who's sitting on the throne where all of the creatures bow down and say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This morning, we have the opportunity to stand and worship the one who sits on the throne with that great company of heaven. Let's stand and sing. Oh 
Oh, Lord, our God, it is good for us to say holy, 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 God in three persons, blessed Trinity. When we pause this morning to remember that you have made this whole wide, wonderful world and sustain it by your grace, when we pause to remember your great, great plan of redemption in Jesus' name and for our sake, when we pause and remember the experiences we have of your Holy Spirit among us, giving us gifts and bearing fruit within us, what can we do except to turn back and praise? We recognize now and give thanks for the fact that you hold this whole world with fierce love. You keep your promises forever. And because of your everlasting goodness, we are confident that your light shining in today's present darkness is enough for us to live by. Thank you for our life together male and female, single and married, young and old, near and far, every hue and variety of humanity, all of us together called to represent you, for you, O Lord, have made us all. Please help us now, O God, to live into what is already true, that you, O God, are gathering a people from every tongue and tribe and nation into the unity of the body of Christ for your glory and for our well-being. Let it be so. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Friends, let's continue in prayer, singing together the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Earth as in 
hear this good news, it is because of the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have peace with God and peace with one another. So the peace of Christ be with you. Please share a sign of that peace with one another. Good morning, Fellowship. My name's Tierra. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship, where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. Um, if this is your first time with us, um, it may be, or you're new with us, maybe this is your first Sunday, maybe you've been here for a couple of Sundays and you're ready to get to know us a little bit better as a community, take a next step to um, plug in. Um, there's something in the back called a connection card. Um, you can fill one of those out. You can pick it up on one of the little stools in the back and take it over to the Welcome Center. And there's some great folks there who would love to meet you and greet you by name and help you to get to know us better as a community too. Um, Second, a couple of announcements for us this morning. Uh, first, it's Geneva week, yeah. Um, how many of you have been to Geneva? You sent students to Geneva? You've been a chaplain at Geneva? A few people? Okay, there were more in the first service, so they won. But <laughs> not that it's a competition, but if it were, first service won. Uh, so two, uh, tons of our students are at Geneva this week. Uh, uh, several people here at Fellowship are serving as chaplain, uh, including um, Skipper and Dieleman, um, and also um, Emily, Miss Emily, are all three serving as chaplains this week. And a small team from Fellowship is heading over to bless the counselors with a meal uh, to thank them for their incredible work at Geneva um, tonight, this evening, for, for dinner. So we just ask that you would just remember um, Geneva in your prayers, the students, the counselors, um, the many chaplains, uh, and in your prayers this week, and specifically that they would have a fresh encounter with Jesus um, this week that um, animates their, their work and their life and their ministry over the course of the rest of this year. Uh, so, huge news. Uh, we have visiting with us this morning, um, Reverend, where are you? Oh, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> the Reverend Dr. Brian Keepers um, and Tammy and Anna, Abby, Abby are here with us this morning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they were here with us um, in ministry for years, and we love them, love them very, very much. And so, if you um, just if you haven't had a chance to chat with them or connect with them, they will be here throughout the service and after the service, obviously as well. Um, 
So this fall, a little fall preview, some of you have heard about this, some of you have already signed up for this, um, but we are embarking on something that we are calling the Immerse Bible Reading Experience. Uh, Immerse is a really, really cool way to read through the entirety of the scriptures in something like um, three years. Uh, most of us have had the experience of starting the Bible in a year plan that we picked up from somewhere, but not quite making it through Leviticus, or if you made it through Leviticus, you got stuck at Numbers, or if you made it through Numbers, Chronicles just totally took you out. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> the beauty of Immerse is that it leverages um, a couple of things. First, um, it leverages our need for community um, in the spiritual life. So just like running is a lot less painful and a lot more fun when you do it with a group of people, so is reading the scriptures. Um, and so you do it in a group or a community of people who gather with you uh, for eight weeks um, in the fall and eight weeks in the spring. Secondly, it also leverages the fact that our eyes like to read novels and not necessarily columns. Um, and so the book, uh, sorry, the chapter numbers, the verses, all those have been removed. And the, the Bible itself um, in the immersed set reads like a novel. It reads like a normal book. Um, and thirdly, um, it leverages the fact that we like to talk about the things that we read. And so it's not a study with a teacher it's more like a book club experience where you come ready to talk about the things that you noticed in the text. Uh, so we're inviting you into this experience, five days of reading per week, 12 pages of reading per day, and then eight weeks in the fall and eight weeks in the spring over the course of a three-year journey. Uh, there are some groups that are already formed and there's some new ones that are forming. There will be opportunities to learn more and also to sign up in the weeks to come. And with that, our kiddos up through first grade, is that right? First grade? Yeah, okay. <laughs> through first grade are being dismissed to follow Miss Betsy. And um, you can continue to worship with us through singing. Thank you. together. We are one in the spirit. 
Good morning. My name is Bryce Vanderstelt, and I'm the Minister of Youth and Young Adults. And this morning, I get to talk about Philemon with you all. So we're going to read this whole book together. So I invite you to grab your Bible from the seat in front of you and open up to Philemon. The first person that can find it, Nate has a prize for you after the service. It's small doses. You're already there, Nate. I see. Already be. I see. Philemon. What page are we on? 970. There you go. 970. So long I had to sit down this morning to read this verse. No, as we lead into this book, as you open up to those verses, I'm sitting here because through the summer we've been going through uh, Paul's letters. And in from this letter, Paul is writing from prison. And if feels like, rather than just standing from a pulpit, I want you to picture Paul sitting. He's writing to Philemon, who he knows and he has a personal relationship with. So I want you to picture Paul sitting and writing this letter to Philemon, and we'll see this big question that he has this morning. Will you guys pray with me before we enter in? God, as we open up the word and as we look at this book of Philemon, we pray that you would be in the reading of it. We pray that as we see what conflict looks like, what reconciliation might look like, we pray that you would open up our imaginations, that you would uh, bring us into wondering of how we deal with the conflict in our own life. So I pray that this message would be from you and pray that you would be in us as we speak and as we hear it. In your name we pray, amen. All right. So let's enter again. If it helps to follow along in your Bible, if it helps to close your eyes and picture Paul writing this, Let's go through this together. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints in your faith towards the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my, my brother. For this reason, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty. Yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love, and I, Paul, do this as an old man. And now as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I'm appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful, both to you and to me. I'm sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred I do nothing without your consent, in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he has been separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever. No longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say, no, I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I'm writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. One more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. 
and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this book is one of my favorite types of books in the Bible. It's a very practical book. Paul doesn't spend a lot of time talking about big theology. And if you're like me, we in church a lot talk about the bigger, more fantastical elements of scripture, right? We talk about burning bushes or lion's dens or feeding of the 5,000. And those are great, but in those sermons, you'll have a pastor maybe come to you and say, what are the burning bushes in your life? And while I understand the metaphor, I'm often left thinking to myself, I wish that I had more burning bushes. I wish that I had more supernatural experiences in my life, but life often just feels normal and regular, and it feels like it's separated from my own experience. But a book like this, where it's regular people writing to regular people, this feels like something that I can get into and understand. Now, some of you guys may be thinking, regular people, I see Dave thinking it. He's sitting here like, what? Regular person? Do you know who wrote this? It's Paul. Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. Paul, missionary Paul. Paul is not a regular person. But I would push back on you, Dave. I would say, hang on a second. Stop being so forceful with me, okay? I say, Paul is indeed a normal person. Paul is not perfect. If you listen to how he writes, I do not know if Paul was here today. I don't think me and him would be friends. I personally think Paul would annoy the heck out of me, right? He's always going around doing the humble brag. He's always talking about, like, I could tell you about how awesome I am, but I'm not going to right, but he still mentions it. He's like, I could tell you about how I can hold my breath for 10 minutes, or run a mile in under five, or I'm best friends with a queen, or I can make any balloon animal you can imagine, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to say it. It's the equivalent of someone saying something very offensive and then saying, no offense, and then you're like, well, you, you already did it. it. It's over. I say, right? And also, before Paul became a Christian, there's a lot of blood on Paul's hands, there's a lot of murdering that Paul did before he became a Christian that we don't always talk about. Paul is not a perfect person. But I think this is an invitation for us because I know I can't be Jesus. You can't be Jesus. But we can maybe be Paul. So when we read this story today, I think it's important. The title of this sermon is just three guys trying to figure it out. And that's what we're reading. These are not mythological figures. These are people we can relate to. So as we look at this passage, uh, there's just a few things that I want to point out. One of the benefits of this passage is it's short. Uh, you can go home and you can brag to people about how you already read your book of the Bible for the, day, for the day. I don't know that Jesus would recommend you go bragging about it, but you could. And the gift for me is that, again, instead of just picking a few verses or a small section, we get to look at this whole letter this morning and talk about what is the ask that Paul has so as we look at this, there's a few things I want to point out about this passage. The first thing, he says, look, this is for Philemon, right? Clearly he has a relationship with Philemon. The two are close. He played a role in Philemon's conversion. But he's like, it's not just for Philemon. It's also for the people in his house, right? He mentions a couple of different people in here. He says, it's for, that's Hebrews. That's not going to help us today, huh? He says this is for Philemon. He also mentions, mentions Aphia who we assume is maybe his wife. He mentions Archippus, who's maybe a leader in his house church, and the house church. So it's for Philemon, but it's also for his house and his church, so it's for his community. By extension, I think this also includes us as a Christian community years later. So we know this isn't just for Philemon, but this is for us. 
Another thing that we see when we jump to verses four through seven, he knows Philemon well enough that he knows I'm gonna ask something big, so I'm gonna butter him up a little bit. Not lie, right, he's not just blowing smoke, he's just like, look, Philemon, I've heard about you, and man, you are doing awesome work. I hear about you, how you're loving people, you're spreading the love of Jesus, you're telling people, I'm blessed by it and I'm over here in prison, you're doing such a great job. It's kinda like this morning, I know that I don't have the uh, discipline, we'll say, of our, the fellow pastors who just stand here for 20 minutes and not move. I like, I like seeing your faces too much. That's the, that's the problem. So I know when I come in, I'm often on the camera crew, crew. I had to go to Jeremy this morning, who's on the main camera right there, and I say, Jeremy, you have such a gift. When I'm back there, I know your smooth camera motions you just track whatever's going on on stage. You can just follow along no matter where people go. You are just there and you follow them. And I do that because it's true, but also because I know I'm about to ask him, hey, also, you can't leave your camera during the sermon like normal because I'm gonna move around and you have to stay on me. And he's doing a great, he's doing a great job and it's a blessing to the people at home, right? So Paul says, hey, you're doing a great job. I want you to be in this mindset that you're serving Jesus and you're doing great stuff. Way to go. Also, I'm gonna ask you to do something really big, right? And the thing that he asks him to do, he says, I've met this guy Onesimus in prison. So I've become his father. In other words, he's become a mentor figure. I assume knowing Paul that he's brought him, he's taught him about Jesus. He's like, look, me and him are in this relationship, and I know he wasn't useful to you. He left you, he was your, he's your slave, he left, now he's in prison. I know he wasn't useful to you, but I'm telling you that now I really think he is useful. And I think you should accept him back, and you should not just accept him back as a slave, but you should accept him back as a brother. This is a big question uh, that he's asking him, and one thing, I'm gonna make an assumption this morning. Hopefully this isn't too big of an assumption. But I am going to assume this morning that here in the year of our Lord, 2023, in Holland, Michigan, that we all agree that slavery is bad. See nods, right? Slavery is wrong. If we are going to love people the way that Jesus calls us to love other people, there cannot be a hierarchy between us. We certainly cannot be owning each other. That's something only God can do. So we're all gonna agree here, slavery is wrong, right? But Philemon and Paul do not live in the world of Holland, Michigan, or in our greater global community in the year 2023. They're from this different place and this different time where slavery is a norm. This is how society functions. This is how work gets done. This is how goods are moved. This is how people see their lives working. Again, this is not to say this morning that it's okay just because it was back then, but to understand their thinking, we have to understand the context that they find themselves in. As I was reading, uh, analogies always fall a little bit short, but N.T. Wright, I thought had a good one as I was reading this week. He says, imagine being asked, if I were to come to Nate today and say, Nate, I need you and Becca to give up your cars. You love Jesus, I know you drive that little leaf out there, but if you love God and you love creation, I I need you to give up your cars. Nate would understandably, he might consider it, he might think about like, well, what does that mean? But we all know Nate's gonna come to a point where he's gonna be like, 
I have to get to work. I've got to get my kids places. Becca has things to do and places to go, right? Our society works on the assumption that you have a vehicle and you can travel. To ask someone to get rid of that is to ask them to suddenly rethink the way the world works, and that's going to be a really big thing. Again, I want to be very clear this morning. I'm not saying we're going to compare owning cars to owning people, right? But you guys can see where this society, societal understanding comes into play. But Paul says to him, I'm going to ask you something crazy. Even though he's wronged you, I'm going to ask you to invite him back as a brother. Because no matter what society tells them their relationship is to each other, Paul is saying nothing is stronger than the connection between brothers and sisters in Christ. He's saying that goes above all things. I think that Paul believes this strongly because remember the murdering that I mentioned a little bit ago that he did before he was a Christian? When Paul becomes a Christian, did all the Christians go, Paul, we're so glad you want to join us? No. Their immediate reaction was, we don't want Paul to join us. He's pretending. He's trying to play us. He's not really a changed person. Paul is someone that's going to come in and he's probably going to murder more of us. Absolutely not. But there's a guy named Barnabas, and that's just his nickname. It means son of encouragement. Barnabas is this guy that says, you know what? I've talked to this Paul guy, and I actually think he has changed. And I think that we should invite him in. And that's the opening to how Paul starts going on his missionary journeys, how he starts writing that New Testament, right? So Paul is accepted in. So Paul's experienced this where people have stood up for him and said, hey, I think that I'm going to mediate and I'm going to ask you guys to accept Paul in this case. So Paul believes it. He believes it to the point that he's like, if he owes you anything, put it on my tab. But it's a big thing because this is a conflict going on, and conflict is all around us, right? Unlike burning bushes, we have conflict all around. So this morning, as an example of how conflict can begin, I'm going to invite my wife up to the stage, and we are going to demonstrate for you how conflict can start. You thought I was joking. You thought that was a joke? You thought no one would be stupid enough. Oh, there's someone stupid enough. I'm here. Uh, now, we're going to do a short skit for you. I could tell you all about the years of theater training in high school and college. and Oh, wait, that's, no, we're not doing the Paul thing. I won't tell you about that. But in this scene, I want you guys a picture, all right? This is, we're, we're not going to get too uh, crazy. Let me move this for you. just want you to know before we do this, I love you. You matter a lot. <laughs> no, oh, I need, my, I need a phone. Tierra's got hers ready to watch YouTube while I preach. That's good. Whoa, whoa. That was the stunt. That was the stunt to this skit. That's what that was. All right. So, studying this end of the scene. Let's get busy. We don't have that much time left. Um, the scene, we're going to go Thursday night. We're not quite to the weekend, right? You're still working for the weekend. And it's right after dinner. We have three kids, Rose, Juliet, and Barnaby. They're nine, six, and three. And let's just set up as a typical night. Let's just say one of them, Rose, for example, might not have loved the main course. Juliet got the wrong plate color. Barnaby's three, so the world is against him. Uh, but we made it through, as we always do. We got them fed. Now they're in the other room, and we're cleaning up the kitchen. That's the scene. And action. Oh, Aaron. I saw this video earlier today. I, I got to show it to you. You're going to love it. I'll say it's going to make you laugh. That's great, hun. Maybe when I'm done with the dishes. Which would go faster if I had some help? 
Look, I'd help you load the dishwasher, but you know how you get when other people load it the way you don't like. What? Oh, you know, you're just like your mother that way. What? You know, particular, aggressive, a little crazy. <laughs> oh, wait, you know. Um, I know the dishes still need to get done. And I know the kids need baths, so I'll be in the basement. And scene. <laughs> Right, this is not an uncommon, whether you're married or whether you're not, conflict comes from all over, right? And there are easy ways to deal with conflict. In this scenario, Erin's automatic reaction is she's understandably and rightfully frustrated because I'm not paying attention. But her automatic reaction is not to pause and say, hey, I'm feeling like you're ignoring me right now. I feel like there's a problem here that I'd really like your focus to help, right? Instead, she gets frustrated, and some of you guys were like, yes, get him, right? <laughs> I understand that too. Right? But she said, but, right, but she walks out in anger and frustration. Now, again, I'm, you know, I'm a special person. What can I say? I'd probably in this situation sit here and think to myself, huh, what is, he, what is she really upset about? How can, I, how can I work to fix this? I gotta think about my own role in this whole thing. No, that's not what I would do. I'm not special. I'd be frustrated. I'd be standing here going, like, what's her problem? Trying to show her a funny video and she gets upset with me? Like, what's wrong with that? I might even make a comment as she walks out the room just to help things go along a little bit better, <laughs> right? And then she might come comment back. But that's the thing with conflict. We get into conflict and we have the easy way to deal with conflict. And the easy way is we're just gonna get frustrated. You're now my enemy. We're now, even if it's for a moment, right? Whether it's coworkers, friends, family members, we're frustrated with each other, but we have this conflict. And it can just keep going. In the situation that we find Philemon and Onesimus in, whether or not Onesimus had the best reason or the worst reason for running away, we don't know exactly what he did, but the fact that he's in prison, in prison and is a slave means that he likely ran away, maybe he stole something on the way out. What society would say is that Philemon in this situation, in this conflict, is the person who was wronged, and Onesimus is the one who did the wronging. Society would say, look, Philemon, you have every right, because he ran away and he stole something, you have every right to have him imprisoned, to have him whipped, to have him crucified, depending on what Onesimus did. But Paul says, look, that's the easy way, to have him punished. But the thing is, just because it's easy doesn't make it right. Paul is showing that, look, if we're gonna love Jesus and we're gonna follow the way of Jesus, Jesus shows us that it's not about revenge or being enemies, but it's about reconciling to each other. And reconciling is just a nice sounding word to say you gotta make that relationship right again. There's a break, there's a fight, there's a conflict. Somehow you have to make that right. And if you've been in a conflict where that happens, we know that that can make the relationship even stronger and even better. But it's hard work to do. But Paul says because we're going to do this, we have to do it. And in order for reconciliation to happen, there's three different parts to this, right? In order for reconciliation to happen, we need Philemon over here to say, okay, I'm ready to accept, even though society tells me I don't have to, I'm ready to accept Onesimus back and forgive him. On the other side, you have Onesimus, who now has to leave prison, who's already been punished. He has to have the bravery to go to Philemon and say, I'm sorry for what I did. 
with the, with the, all the while knowing that he may be punished more than he was before. Right? Both sides are not easy in conflict. And then we have Paul who's in the middle who's just like, look, I'm sitting in the mediation spot. I know you and I know you. And I see that I have a role that I can play to try to bring you two together. Right? So Paul's in this space, but forgiveness is this weird thing where you can want to forgive someone, right? Someone might have wronged you and you might say, I forgive you, but the other person's not sorry. On the flip side, you could be really sorry about something that you did and then you go to say sorry and the person doesn't forgive you, right? We're called to play our role. We can't force the other person to do. But what we see in this book is when three people are willing to all come in and say, no, we all have this one goal of reconciling together to be one again. That's where something happens. I think that this book would have been thrown into the, into the bin if Philemon doesn't follow through. We don't know if he follows through on this, but we assume that he does. Paul doesn't talk in this book about theology or how to look like Jesus, he, or how, what we think about Jesus. He just says, if you want to follow Jesus, this is what you have to do. And that's the big change that we have as Christians, right? We do not have a patent. We don't have a hold on forgiveness and reconciliation. There are other people that aren't Christians that do that. But Paul is saying the reason for it, the reason that we do it is because God loves us, God created us, but we sin. Our sin separates us from God. We have conflict with God because we sin. Thankfully for us, instead of wanting to punish us, God loves us and says, no, I want you to come back to me. God says, I'm already ready to forgive you, but I also understand you guys aren't ready, so we need a mediator. So I'm gonna send Jesus right down into this mediation spot. Jesus is gonna come down and show us how to live, teach us, and then he's gonna die and rise again in order to be the ultimate mediator between us and God. Right? You know, we were in the Rockies a week and a half ago with a youth group, and when we were up there, one of my favorite parts, and there was hiking, there was worship, there was a lot of fun stuff. But in the evening, we'd be in this small cabin. All 32 of us would go in there, it would be like a sauna. Some of you guys are here, you were there, you know. And this group opened up, and we talked about the conflict. We talked about what we feel like we do wrong. We talked about uh, not small stuff. It wasn't just, well, I don't read my Bible enough, I don't pray enough. It was, I don't know if I'm a good enough son or daughter to my parents. I don't know if I measure up. We talked about things like, you know, it just so often feels like the right way to go is to end my life rather than to live it. Right? This conflict is big, and we experience, we feel, we experience doubt in ourselves. But I also saw in this room and in this worship, students accept Christ for the first time and recommit. And maybe you've been there before. And it's in those moments that we don't just do this because some old book tells us that Jesus is a mediator, should we do it? We do this because we experience this here and now in those rooms in Rocky in your own life. I'm sure you've experienced Jesus' power actually here and present. And Paul says, guess what? If you're going to say they're gonna know me, that I'm a Christian by my love, then he's like, guess what? This reconciliation thing has to be different. You have to change the way society views how we're separated from each other. You have to view each other as brothers and sisters. Paul's not very prescriptive in this sermon. He just says, I think you'll do it. He does it in kind of a gangster type way. He's like, I could make you do it. I'm not going to. You've tried that with your kids. I have. Like, I'd like you to love your brother out of love, not because I took your tablet away. But Paul says, 
But Paul says, I believe you're gonna do it and I believe you're gonna do far more. I'm sure Philemon's sitting there like, what does that mean? But I trust that he did it. And all of your conflict is different and conflict is small and conflict is big. And I don't know what your conflict looks like, but I invite you to simply view conflict a little bit differently. And the conflict you picture in your own life, just picture conflict where it is, big, small, maybe it's a dishwasher, maybe it's something much bigger that's taken years for you to work through. And just wonder to yourself, what is the role that you play in the conflict? Are you Philemon? Are you the person that needs to drop your ego? Are you someone that needs to be open to forgiving someone else? Are you Onesimus in the, in the conflict? Are you a person that's like, look, I gotta go and I gotta say sorry. I did something wrong and now I have to go and have the bravery to accept that. Or are you Paul in this situation? And again, in all of our conflicts, we probably play all these roles, right? Are you Paul in this conflict where you're like, okay, I know this person and I know this person, I could probably help, but ooh, drama is a beast and I'd rather stay out of it. But do you see conflict that you're like, all right, I could sit in the middle of this and I could help? And we do that because Jesus called us to do it. And I love that in this simple book that Paul's like, look, we're three guys and we gotta figure this out. And when we do that, we change how society functions. And this morning, we have the gift. As we look, because we do it, because Jesus did it for us first, we move this sermon over to the communion table so that we can celebrate together how Jesus is our ultimate mediator. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this morning we get to feast at the table that God has set before us. At this table, we rehearse the story of our triune God who saves us from sin, death, and darkness, and who saves us for eternal friendship with himself and with one another. This Holy Supper, which we are about to celebrate, is for us a feast of remembrance, of communion, and of hope. We come in remembrance that our Lord Jesus Christ, who was sent into the world by the Father to assume our flesh and blood and to fulfill for us all obedience to the divine law, even to the point of death on a cross. And by his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, he has in himself reconciled us to God and to one another. We come to have communion with this same Christ who, as Bryce said, is our mediator, but also our pattern, our pattern for reconciliation with God and with one another. In the breaking of the bread, he is the true heavenly bread who strengthens us into life eternal. And in the cup of blessing, he is the vine in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. Lastly, we come in hope, believing that this bread and this cup is for us a pledge and a foretaste of the eternal feast to come, a feast of love and joy and communion of which we shall partake when Christ's kingdom has fully come. And as we await this eternal feast, the Holy Spirit unites us in one body. How many bodies? One body, one body with Christ and with one another. And we get to practice this oneness at the table. So maybe it's remembrance of Christ's reconciling love in the face of our own sin and brokenness. Maybe maybe it's fresh communion with this Christ in a season of distraction and exhaustion on the one hand, or maybe even alienation and strained relationships on the other. Maybe it's shining hope that in Christ, somehow, in the most difficult of relationships, all things are being reconciled in Christ. Whichever it is, we invite you to find peace and nourishment and fuel for the work of reconciliation at this table. 
And here at Fellowship, all who love Jesus and are learning to follow him more closely are welcome to feast at this table. Will you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have graciously reconciled us to yourself and to one another. As we come to the table this morning, knit our hearts to you and to one another in gratitude for what you have done for us and what you will continue to do through us. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of your creative work. You have created heaven and earth and all of humanity and the birds and the fish and the mammals and marmots and lizards. In your goodness and in your providence, you preserve all that you have made. And because you love everything and everyone that you've made, you didn't allow our sin and brokenness to get the last word. For this reason, we also stand in awe of your redemptive work. You sent Jesus as the clearest expression of your love for us. It is through the blameless life and sacrificial death of Jesus Christ that the gift of reconciliation is given to us and your peace is being restored to us. For this reason, we stand in awe of your restoration work. You sent the Holy Spirit by whom we receive the gift of reconciliation and the ability to heal from the wounds of hatred and enslavement and the boldness to proclaim the good news of reconciliation with you and one another in the world that groans for your shalom. Send your Holy Spirit that this meal of bread and cup may be fresh communion with our triune God who loves, redeems, and restores us, who knits us together and with, with him and one another, and who sends us as ambassadors of reconciliation in our world. Gather us at your table today in anticipation of the way you'll gather us when your kingdom comes. Amen. Friends, on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. Take, eat. And that same night, after a little time had passed, Jesus took the cup, and likewise, he poured it full. And he gave it to his disciples, saying to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, and as often as you drink of it, you do so in remembrance of me. Friends, the bread which we break and the cup which we bless is for us our communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, um, I will invite the elders to come forward for, to receive the elements. Uh, we will have four stations up front, um, four regular stations, and then one gluten-free station underneath the cross for those who need it. Um, and there's an elder over there as well to serve you. Um, and if you um, are not able to or do not wish to leave your seat, uh, if you raise your hand, there's a roving elder who will come over to serve you at your seat. Um, you can, as far as flow of traffic, um, exit left and return right, um, hence the arrows, just follow the arrows up on the screen. Um, as we um, share the elements with the elders, um, once they're set, um, once they turn around, you are free to come for all things at that time will be ready.
and let's sing together.
And friends, may you go with the forgiveness of God, the mediation of Jesus, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to go out and be reconcilers in a world that needs it. Go in peace.